We will advance Act's Treaty Principles Act. It will be drafted, voted on, sent to select committee and consulted on. We will not be um, led down a path of erasure. The reason why I'm here is for that, for her. Government announces 15 policies that are going to put Māori back uh, to the dark ages. The best protest we can do right now is being Māori. We're here on behalf of the government with more Māori ministers than ever before, with more Māori in the joint caucuses than ever before, all who got there on their own merits. If there is any measure of meddling with the treaty of Waitangi, Māori will not sit idly by. The government has no plans and never has had plans to amend or to revise the treaty. Tēnā koutou, no mai haere mai. Welcome to The Principles, a Q&A Waitangi Day special. 184 years since the Treaty of Waitangi, Te Triti, was signed, 2024 will see a nationwide debate over what it means for modern New Zealand. As part of the coalition deal between National and ACT, a bill will be introduced by the new government to define the principles of the treaty. And this Waitangi Day, we wanted to consider some of the issues which are central to that debate. Of course, the actual text of the treaty is in two forms, an English language version and a Māori language version. Understandings of those versions, what was agreed and what honouring the treaty actually means in practice is all subject for debate. But what for the so-called treaty principles? To begin this morning, here's One News Māori Affairs correspondent, Te Aniwa Hanganui. In the 1980s, the courts needed to start interpreting the treaty in order to make judgments. So the former president of the Court of Appeal, Sir Robin Cook, created a set of principles. David Longy's government then adopted a set of five principles to help them make decisions about treaty-related matters. They were kawanatanga, that the Crown has the right to govern. Rangatiratanga, that Māori have the right to use and control their resources. Equality, that all citizens are equal before the law. Cooperation, that the treaty establishes a fair basis for two peoples in one country. And redress, that the grievances of iwi will be heard and resolved. Over the years, the treaty principles have been interpreted by the Waitangi Tribunal and the courts. In the 1987 Lands case, for example, the Court of Appeal identified partnership as a key principle, which obligated the Crown and Māori to work together in good faith. And in 1991, the Waitangi Tribunal referred to a new principle, that of reciprocity. It said the treaty was essentially an exchange, the exchange of the right to govern for the right of Māori to retain tinoranga tiratanga. In the lead-up to last year's election, ACT campaigned on holding a referendum on the treaty principles. And when the new government was formed, here's what was agreed. To introduce a treaty principles bill based on existing ACT policy and support it to a select committee as soon as practicable. So here are those principles. Well, number one, the New Zealand government has the right to govern New Zealand. Number two, the New Zealand government will protect all New Zealanders' authority over their land and other property. And number three, all New Zealanders are equal under the law with the same rights and duties. So far, Prime Minister Christopher Luxon has only committed to supporting Act's principles billed to the select committee stage. But he's appointed Act leader David Seymour as the Associate Justice Minister responsible for the bill's drafting and progress. 
It's about allowing mana for all, I think, at the moment. Uh, there is a conception of the Treaty of Waitangi that some New Zealanders are in partnership with the Crown, uh, but everyone who's not Māori is sort of off somewhere else. And in a practical sense, uh, it means that you know, who gets consulted on resource consents? Uh, it sometimes means who gets jobs and you'll see people who will say in my workplace I feel that uh, people are being promoted because there's an objective of having this many Māori or this relationship with the Crown in order to honour the principles of the treaty. Um, these are real problems that people are seeing in their everyday life and I think we have to decide uh, do we want to be a country that has equal mana for all citizens or do we want to become a, a bit of a constitutional oddity where there's a two-track citizenship arrangement. There is going to be a lot of discussion this year as to your proposals but I wanted to start with some really basic questions. So in your interpretation as it stands, does the Treaty of Waitangi afford iwi a special or unique status? Uh, no, uh, it allows people who have property rights uh, a status that is equal to everyone else. Now where iwi are different is that uh, having been around a bit longer they may have parts of the country where they have a claim um, that you know is being worked out through the courts and has been worked out through the treaty settlement process. Um, that is different uh, but it doesn't make you different in right, only different uh, in very specific instances. They don't have a unique status as indigenous people. No, I don't think that you should be treated differently because you are a treaty partner. Uh, you might be treated differently because, uh, for example, your ancestors owned a particular piece of land. And you've seen that manifested in the Waikato River Authority, um, you know, the Auckland volcanic cones and so on. Will your proposed principles explicitly reference Māori or iwi? Um, it would say that all New Zealanders have the same rights and duties, but referencing uh, Māori concepts that we have tiruranga tiratanga, self-determination, and I guess that's the critical issue here, is that we are in favour of a New Zealand that has Māori as a very important and foundational part of it, um, but it's also a New Zealand that has the same mana for all. It doesn't say that some people have tiruranga tiratanga and other people have, well, who knows. To be totally clear though, your proposed principles will not explicitly reference Māori? No, because it will give a set of rights to human beings, all people. The treaty was signed by two explicitly defined parties at the time, the Crown and Māori Rangatira. So how would it be just for one of those parties to reinterpret the principles as it wishes without the consent of the other party? Well, it depends exactly how you think of it today and what is the relevance of that to a child born in New Zealand today. So if you turn it around, uh, a kid born in New Zealand today, should they be treated differently, whether they get consulted, whether they get on a board, whether they get a position as a, one of the co-CEOs of the Human Rights Commission, for example, um, because of an agreement that some people signed and others didn't? So this is ultimately about equal rights uh, for all. And I turn it around to say the the other way, um, what you're really saying is that some people should have effectively a veto um, on how our collective understanding of the treaty evolves. Well, if, if that's the case, uh, then you're not really up for any no, change. So that doesn't reference the question, though, that I asked. The question is, how would it be just for one party to an agreement to reinterpret the principles behind that agreement without the other party agreeing to those 
interpretation. Because there's something higher, which is the universal humanity and human rights of each person to have the same rights and duties, as the treaty itself says, um, there's something higher, uh, which is the right uh, of all people uh, to be treated with the same manner for all. Uh, that's a, a critical concept right throughout humanity. I think the other way you can look at it is how would it be just for some people to claim or that others don't have that right uh, on the basis of an agreement they sign? So you would agree then that the principles as you see them would not necessarily be uh, agreed upon by one party to the treaty? Well, that's been the case already. You have to remember um, that uh, Parliament um, you know, in the 80s said that there are principles. Um, it established a Waitangi tribunal to interpret them uh, and it established courts. Uh, the courts of course have been doing the interpretation that led to our current understanding of the principles. I think they got it wrong, that's why I think Parliament should act. So you know, if your concern is that um, we're somehow doing something that hasn't been done before, well actually the Waitangi Tribunal, the courts, the public service, all agents of the Crown have been doing this for 40 years. I just think Parliament should have a say. Well, Justice Minister Paul Goldsmith has pre previously supported an interpretation of the treaty as a contract. Can one party in a contract decide to reinterpret it without the consent of another signatory? Well sometimes you've got to go to someone else and ask um, what does this contract mean for us today. In fact all contractual interpretations are usually arbitrated by a third party. In that case I think it should be the highest court in the land, the parliament elected by the New Zealand people. Mm. But in terms of population non-Māori represented uh, in effect by the Crown, vastly outnumber Māori, in order for a truly democratic interpretation of the principles to pass into law. Wouldn't any referendum require the support of the Crown and separately the consensus of iwi representing the signatories to the treaty? Well that's your view but of course you assume in saying that um, that the treaty is a partnership that gave people different rights and different mana based on their ancestry. I just reject that premise. Now, but, if, but, if it was, but it was mm. an agreement signed by two distinct signatories or two distinct parties. And if you're saying that one party gets to effectively veto what it means forever in a day, then you've already bought into the premise that there should be different sets of political rights for different you're New saying? Zealanders. You're um, saying I, that one party can do that? No, I, I reject it. I reject the, the notion you have that in order to have a discussion about the treaty, one side always has a veto. What I'm saying is that sometimes you've got to get an agreement arbitrated and in my view uh, it is the role of New Zealand Parliament and a democratic society to uphold the universal rights uh, of all New Zealanders. Can you name a, a single iwi that would agree to your principles as they stand? Uh, we may well see. I mean, no, no iwi has engaged on what those principles are. We haven't. I've only been responsible for this in a government sense uh, for a couple of days. Principles. Yeah. yeah, sure. But ultimately, you know, that's the leadership of, of a particular group of people. Uh, what I do know is that there are a huge number of people uh, who are Māori and agree with us, Māori and disagree with us, non-Māori and disagree with us, Māori and agree with us. And I guess, Jack, you know, through this whole interview, you are already committed to the premise that Māori have a special constitutional status 
status and a different sort of political trump card in New Zealand's political settings. If you agree with that, then you know, we're, we're never going to see eye to eye here. If you believe in universal human rights and equal manner for all, uh, then you'll be starting to ask the question, you know, what do human beings, what do people think about this? Overwhelmingly, they flourish when they have the same manner for all, the same rights and duties as the treaty itself says. No, all, all, I'm, I'm just trying to understand your, your position on this because there is a there is a um, fundamental tension in the eyes of some in that you have a foundational document that was signed by two distinct parties and you have a proposal that may have the support of one of those parties but not necessarily the other and it's the question of the tyranny of the majority in this case that some people will be concerned well, if that's the case, then of course you are basically saying that we will forever be a republic uh, with a, a set of citizens who have a different set of rights from everybody else. I believe that there's no future in that, and I also don't believe it's the correct interpretation of the treaty. I think the question back to uh, people that are making arguments like you just have, whether or not you may personally believe it, Jack, is where are the successful examples of societies around the world uh, that have had two different categories of citizenship and political rights where one has a veto over the others or the one gets consulted or one gets positions and, and other people don't because of how they were born. Where are the successful examples of societies in the world like that? Because I give you a whole lot of disastrous ones. You, you talked at the start of the interview about property rights and your draft principles as they stand include no mention of redress for past wrongs committed against iwi or Māori as a whole in contrast to the currently defined principles. Why is that? Well, in part because if you look at where New Zealand's got to, I mean, since 2008, there's been no new um, treaty claims. Uh, there are still some outstanding claims to be resolved. And, you know, being from the north and in Ngāpui lineage, I'm pretty keen to see that happen as quickly as possible. Um, however, um, you, you know, I think in terms of redress, we actually decided in 2008 that we were there. Now we are basically implementing that agreement. Relative to the scale of the land confiscation and treaty breaches, many of those completed treaty settlements have returned iwi and hapu mere cents on the dollar. So in the spirit of the treaty principles as you define them, should the Crown not be responsible for full dollar for dollar settlements for historical treaty breaches? Uh, well, we could do that, but again, I just ask you, how is that going to work? There are many people in this country who have come here landless, penniless, born with nothing, born into terrible circumstances. You know, I mean, I myself am part Scottish. A lot of people came from Scotland from terrible circumstances. If we're serious about compensating everybody for everything that's ever happened to their ancestors, mm -hmm. then we can do that. But actually, you know what? When I talk about... Um, isn't there, under the principles as you've defined them and under the property rights and, and, and laws around property rights mm. that you have specified, would that not be a just outcome? Um, well, I think we can see from just thinking about what it actually means, um, it would be a nice outcome, but it's not practical and no one is taking that seriously or ever has um, because it would apply to everyone in human history who's been wronged. And tragically, human history has had uh, far too many problems for us to do that. On the other hand... Except that not everyone in human history has been a signatory to the Treaty of Waitangi, well, a, a unique document between the Crown and Iwi in New Zealand. Doesn't make it any more practical um, to change things that happened 180 years ago. If you do want to put right that wrong, here's what we need to do, and this is why I say mana for all. There's no mana in not having an education. 
You know, there's no mana in being in prison at three times the rate of non-Māori. There's no mana in not having a roof over your head. So the things that I'm committed to doing in education, uh, in health, uh, in housing, uh, in the economy, in getting infrastructure built, uh, those are the things that are actually going to do far more to redress those past wrongs and the disadvantage that's come from those times than the, the serious prospect that somehow um, you know, Māori are going to be compensated for effectively the entire value of New Zealand. I mean, once you get into that, you ask, well, when would you do it? Who would get the money? How would it be distributed? How would we afford to pay for the whole country over what time frame? Um, that's not going to happen. Mm. But actually, when I say mana for all, I mean, let's work on you know, the fact that there's no mana in these social statistics. That's the practicality, and that's what we need to do. But here's the thing, Jack. Having somebody who happens to be vaguely from the same lineage as you put onto a representation board for, say, three waters, as the previous government proposed, that doesn't help if you're suffering in poverty and don't have a house. If your principles pass into law, would you expect there to be some legal challenges to existing treaty settlements? No, and that's one of the things that we're going to have to work through. You know, we'll ACT is always, I think ACT has voted for every single treaty settlement, certainly in the time I've been uh, an ACT MP. Um, we're committed to putting wrong the rights of, wrong right the wrongs of the past. Um, however, um, we also recognise that, you know, for a society to function, everyone has to have the same rights and duties. That's Associate Justice Minister David Seymour. I asked him a couple of other questions, which you can see on our YouTube page by searching NZQ&A. After the break, we will ask other politicians for their thoughts on the proposed treaty principles. I think the treaty is for everyone. Um, it's a, there's a place for everyone and what it means. It's something which is well established in our legal framework. Um, we don't need to depart from that. What we need is a broader societal conversation around how we live the values of the treaty in our everyday lives. Those were Labour MPs Adrian Rudafe and Arena Williams discussing the principles of the treaty. We'll bring you more views from MPs over the course of the show this morning. Since the new government was formed at the end of last year, many Māori have expressed concerns over the proposed treaty principles bill. Thousands turned out for a kingi tanga hui in Waikato last month, and among the kaikōrero there to speak against the treaty principles bill was Rahui Papa. I asked him about his concerns. Really, it's the uncertainty uh, because there has been no consultation with the Tiriti partners uh, around uh, the contents of this bill. And so it's really uh, balls in the air and trying to juggle them as we're uh, working through that. There are a number of concerns, though, and top of mind uh, from the Ngārua Wahia Hui, from the Ratana Hui, uh, and again at the Iwi Chias Forum in, in Waitangi here, is the protection of Hefakaputanga and the Tiriti of Waitangi, uh, and the protection uh, of those mechanisms uh, that has promised Māori uh, things since 1840 uh, that actually hasn't been fulfilled yet. And so um, instead of tinkering around with principles or, or uh, redefining the text of Te Tiriti, it would be far better to expend the resources, the time and the energy on honouring the treaty. So, so is it a useful exercise just for pragmatic purposes in the modern age to use treaty principles both for the Waitangi Tribunal and for other court jurisdictions? 
Yeah, well, you know, the principles have been set uh, and confirmed by the Supreme Court uh, in the tribunal findings that are being uh, hugely well researched uh, and to just brush those aside uh, in a 2024 context uh, is not going to be tolerable and it's not going to be very palatable uh, and we remain uh, the, we retain the right to fight Jack uh, mm. because uh, we think that uh, it's a die in the ditch kaupapa for te ao Māori uh, the kaupapa, the actual texts of te pukaputanga uh, and te tiriti uh, are sacrosanct in our view so if the principles do have some use, at least in uh, a, a judicial setting, what do ACT's proposed principles miss? What, what, what do they leave out? Well, it's not fair to just cherry-pick certain sentences out of the articles, like hetangatari And that's exactly right in Article 3, but actually it was a promise to the native people of Aotearoa, to the tangata whenua of Aotearoa, that we would have the same rights uh, as those of British citizenships. But we've found uh, that time and time and time again, we're at the bottom of the heap when it comes to social circumstances in this country. Uh, and so that hasn't actually been fulfilled. If we try and fulfill those sorts of things, uh, then uh, to sit down and have a, have a constitutional conversation uh, with the foundation of Hefakaputanga and Te Tiriti will be very welcome. We're not shying away from the discussion or the corridor. We just want to be involved uh, in the discussion and the mm. corridor at the get-go uh, and not be classed as a second-class citizen uh, from parties in this parliament. Well, let's talk about classes of citizenship because central to Act's criticism of the status quo is that interpretations of the treaty at the moment mean different standards of citizenship for different New Zealanders depending on their race. What do you say to that? Oh, I say that's a load of um, a hog's wallop. Uh, look, uh, there were some promises made in 1940 and consistently over 184 years those have been pushed aside uh, by policies of assimilation, by policy totalitarianism uh, in, in our view, uh, like the smacking of our, our ancestors for speaking te reo Māori, which was guaranteed as a taonga in our view under uh, Article 2 of Te Tiriti o Waitangi. Those sorts of policies have made a mindset in Aotearoa uh, that actually things Māori, uh, they're okay to be uh, pushed aside and subdued. Mm. Uh, and so um, once we get to that equilibrium, once we get to that sense of equality, uh, then then there will be a huge discussion uh, about the constitutional arrangements going forward. But I don't think uh, that uh, Māori are the privileged ones here when the incarceration rates mm. say something different, when the poor education rates say something different, when the mortality rates say something different. How can we say uh, that uh, actually we're sitting uh, on the same level and we should have uh, the same dedication uh, of resources, time and energy? But is that what the treaty promises? Does the treaty afford iwi or hapu a special, unique status as tangata whenua Indigenous New Zealanders? Very much so. So Article 2 of the treaty promised uh, the continuation and the maintenance of tinoranga tiratanga. Kawanatanga is one thing, but tinoranga tiratanga over their lands, their fisheries, their mm. taonga uh, uh, is something uh, totally different. Uh, and that hasn't been abided to, uh, abided by, sorry. Uh, 
that has been constantly uh, waylaid and pushed aside and subdued uh, and actually uh, wiped out in some instances. So um, if that Tinoranga Tiratanga had been able to carry on since 1840 through the times of the colonial government and right through the policies and procedures of assimilation of various governments, then we would be in a totally different setting today. So if the Treaty of Waitangi is upheld in the way that you interpret Tetiriti, would a non-Māori New Zealander have the same level of say over New Zealand governance and resources as a Māori New Zealander? Yeah, very much so. So we've seen uh, that even in the New Zealand Parliament or in the, uh, in the establishment of the Māori seats uh, in the New Zealand Parliament, it was a very minority uh, type arrangement. Uh, and, and so people get their say uh, through the uh, population base of councils and government uh, and things like that. Uh, and so uh, actually you have to claw back some of those tinoranga tiratanga uh, um, uh, perspectives uh, to be able to get to the table in the first instance. Uh, and so, you know, people have uh, rubbished co-governance and, and mm. things like that. Well, that's OK. But it should be an active partnership, uh, and that's what we're seeking. But, but to take that example, the, 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 the Māori seats, for example, I mean, Māori seats are, are just a minority in a 120-seat parliament, seven seats. Wouldn't true partnership or, or upholding the treaty as you see it mean a separate Māori parliament or the same number of seats for Māori as for non-Māori? Well, that's some perspectives that need to be worked through. So uh, the call for Tinoranga Tiratanga and Mana Motuhake yeah. uh, may see uh, something uh, like a quasi-Māori uh, parliament uh, that is able to engage with the New Zealand parliament, like, like in the early days when there was an upper house and a lower house, mm. uh, for example. But this could be uh, houses sitting together, making sure uh, that Te Tiriti o Waitangi and Hepakaputanga mm. uh, is adhered to. Uh, and so uh, I, I don't see the, necessi the necessity for Pākehā institutions to be the way that Māori do things. It mm. should be based on tikanga uh, and kawa of Tewi Māori uh, and how we uh, practice those will be uh, probably a fulsome discussion coming up over the next wee while. Yeah, how do you see this debate playing out in the coming months? Oh, look, um, we've heard from the Prime Minister, how many times do I need to tell uh, people that this is the intention? And that's cool, uh, but the intention is one thing. What we're looking for is a pōwhenua. We're looking for a stake in the ground to say, yes, this is going to carry on or not, so that we can organise ourselves in a kotahitanga way. How this will play out is that there will be numerous hui up and down uh, Aotearoa uh, to garnish and to gain the perspectives of all of the Iwi Māori uh, before uh, setting a pathway uh, that we can uh, mm. practice uh, based on our tikanga and kawa uh, that lead us to tinoranga tiratanga and mana motuhake in our way. And then to figure out what then will the role of the New Zealand government uh, or uh, the emissaries of the British Crown uh, will mm. be in that solution focus? Because there will be some, some solutions that will be framed in a tinoranga tiratanga and mana motuhake way that will be for Māori to lead, their own, uh, to lead and set their own destiny. But mm. there will be opportunities for collaborative working relationships uh, and robust discussions uh, going forward into the future. That was Rahui Papa. For more in-depth coverage about the treaty, Te Triti, and to keep up with developments at Waitangi, head to onenews.co.nz slash Waitangi.
Stay with us. This Q&A special continues in a moment. This government was founded on the disposition of land in entity, specifically the Articles. Um, to me, mean that Māori never ceded sovereignty, and as a parliamentarian, it means I have to work every day to uphold um, that issue, that um, sovereignty was never ceded. Well, the principles are a, a sort of judicial way of not upholding the actual text of the treaty. So it was a compromise that was made to ensure that we have some sort of judicial understanding. Those were Green MPs Ricardo Menendez-March and Steve Abel with their thoughts on the treaty principles. And we want to pick up on what Steve Abel was discussing there. Human rights lawyer Natalie Coates has spent much of her career considering Māori issues and the Treaty of Waitangi. I asked her if defining a set of principles is a good way of giving effect to the treaty text. Um, the short answer to that is, is no. Um, and that's because in terms of the way that the treaty, treaty principles are used throughout legislation, they are pepper-potted all throughout and are given various weight or legislative effect. So the use of the principles um, in those places or the, the, the defining of them is really linked to how they're used in those in that legislation. Like to the application. Exactly. And so it's not about giving effect to to Tiriti or Waitangi broadly. That's not what the interpretive dimension is designed mm. to do. Isn't it a pragmatic solution, though, in the, in the modern age to try and um, apply the spirit of the treaty to a modern context? I mean, there's a long history, and, and the critique of the use of that mechanism of the, the principles of the treaty, it's, it's long been critiqued by a number of prominent Māori because um, they've argued that, in effect, it, it waters it down instead of looking at the actual text, which on its face isn't that complicated and hard. It may be um, politically inconvenient to implement, um, yeah. but it's, it is clear. What the principles are trying to do, uh, arguably, is to sort of extract the extract meaning from the two different texts yeah. um, as we understand them now compared to how we understood them at the time and try and come up with a compromise. But the, the critique of that is that it, it doesn't actually usually give justice to mm. Article 2 of the Māori version of uh, which promises rangatiratanga. Right, OK, so... so, so if Māori were to achieve rangatiratanga, how then would the treaty define governance and rights in modern New Zealand? I think that's something we need to have a bigger conversation about because, I mean, it was very clear, um, you know, in 1840 what was intended by the Treaty of Waitangi. Māori were to retain rangatiratanga authority, full political authority over their own affairs. Um, the governments were charged with coming in and looking after their own people who were causing havoc at the time. In terms of how that can manifest itself today and what that means today, I mean, there's been some amazing people do some incredible work and have kind of envisaged that dream in places like Matikimai and they've kind of plotted out what that might look like. But that does take or would take some fundamental constitutional change in terms of how we're currently structured. So mm. there needs to be a process for how we might get there. And part of that process is bringing the public along, informing them, educating them and working that through in a productive, healthy way. In your view, does the treaty afford iwi a special or unique status as Indigenous tangata whenua? That's what it says. <laughs> so um, Article 2 of Te Tiriti o Waitangi guarantees hapu, not iwi, hapu, rangatiratanga mm. over their whenua. And so um, arguably, though, those rights aren't created by the treaty, right? They're pre-existing rights that the treaty just recognised. And so 
those were the fundamental constitutional guarantees that were given uh, when sort of two nations really came came together. And so that's the foundation upon which our modern nation state mm. is formed. And I think there is a... The, the question is how we honour that. Um, and traditionally, we haven't done a great job of that. That's why mm. treaty settlements exist. What do you think of the government's proposal? In terms of the treaty principles bill, um, I think it's highly problematic um, for a number of different reasons. But you effectively have one party to the treaty um, unilaterally seeking to change not just the principles, but it's to change the actual text. Um, and, and again, this is just based... Again, there's no bill currently, so that's just based on the leaked based document. On, yeah, on, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's just one party, you know, saying this is what it means. And currently, the way that it's framed bears little resemblance, actually, um, to Te Tiriti or Waitangi. It, it takes um, the Māori rights, effectively, out of there. Um, and that's hugely problematic in terms of... Um, the, the relationship between the Crown and Māori. And I think it's usually problem, problematic for Aotearoa more generally. What do you think about the process? Is there merit, <coughs> if we are going to have principles of the treaty defining things in, in our governance and law, is there merit in having those principles defined by the people through a parliamentary process and, and, and ultimately a referendum? I think... I just don't think we're ready as a country to have a mature discussion on that. Mm. I was reading recently, and this is not to, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're all intelligent people in Aotearoa, but um, when I was reading recently, it was a survey by the New Zealand Human Rights Commission, and they had some really sobering statistics around only 36% of Aotearoa, people in Aotearoa having read the English version of the treaty, mm. only 16% um, had read the Māori version or something like that, and only 10% felt, felt well informed about the treaty debate and what honouring it might look like. So I think um, there are some things that we need to do so mm. that, including, you know, um, getting in the schools and those sorts of places, um, before we, we're ready to have a really mature kind of decision and conversation around that. And to be... The other thing as well, I think, is that, I mean, minority sort of rights have never fared, fared well um, traditionally in that kind of referendum mm. environment when you look at the voiceover in, a, in Australia recently. Mm. David Seymour's argument mm. would be that some interpretations of tetiriti effectively afford a different standard of citizenship for different New Zealanders, depending on their race. What would be your response to that? I think our, our, our democracy, the democracy that we have in Aotearoa, is founded upon tetiriti or waitangi. Its whole introduction, our legitimacy of our state, was premised upon the honouring of that. And it, it was fitted, it did fetter that power and authority, and it did fetter it by guaranteeing rangatira tanga tu hapu. So to an extent, I think um, I think framing it in terms of race is, is unhelpful, but it did guarantee hapu um, particular power and authority. But I don't think that's a scary thing. I think it's a thing that, as Aotearoa, we need to navigate and, and embrace our constitutional bones and the constitutional foundation that we built our nation upon. Mm. From a legal standpoint, what are the potential consequences if the treaty's principles are redefined? <sighs> um, 
it will be interesting to see if there are any legal challenges um, to that. Um, but, I mean, the current status quo is when Parliament passes laws, then the court is bound to impact those laws. And so what it would do is represent a fundamental dishonouring of our constitution, and that is problematic for a number of number of different reasons. Mm. It also, I think, we, we've just come off the back of a treaty settlement process where you've had... Um, governments of all sides of the political governments of all sides of the political aisle say we're sorry for dishonouring the treaty. Mm. We're going to pave a new, more treaty consistent path going forward. And so, to sort of unilaterally redefine Te Tiriti or Waitangi in law in a way that reads down Māori rights, you know, kind of flies in the face of all of I think the mm. the progress that we've made over the last forty years. Natalie Coates. After the break, where to from here in a three-party coalition government? How will political dynamics affect the progress of the Principles Bill? It's about uh, kawanatanga, it's about rangatiratanga, it's about equality. Uh, that's what the principles mean to me. They're the founding document of our country and um, I want to uphold the the, treaty of, the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. Uh, they mean exactly what our leader has outlined. Which is? <laughs> You'll have to go back and see what he said because I absolutely agree with the Prime Minister and the leader of the National Party. It lays up a relationship between Crown and Iwi that I think is akin to partnership uh, and that's, that, that's a big one of the core principles, partnership, uh, and then we've got to make sure that we continue to deepen that up. That, of course, is Prime Minister Christopher Luxon. So far, National has only committed in its coalition agreement to supporting the bill to the select committee stage. So unless Acts can get a majority in the House, the bill won't go further. One News Deputy Political Editor Mikey Sherman is in Waitangi for us, and I asked her how much the Principles Bill has featured in conversations and debate at Waitangi this year. Look, the Treaty Principles Bill has really dominated the agenda here at Waitangi, make no doubt about that. I mean, more than 10,000 extra people were expected here on top of the 30,000 that they usually get here at the Treaty Grounds, and that is driven by the Treaty Principles Bill. That is what spurred on uh, that 10,000 strong crowd at Tūranga Waiwai Marae. That's what continued the conversation at Ratanapa and right up here to Waitangi. The government, Pōwhiri in particular, was nothing short of amazing. People who witnessed that porphyry will be talking about it for a long time to come. The kōrero was very robust. It was staunch from every single speaker, including the politicians. No one really was giving an inch, but at least they've had the kōrero. So, Mikey, what is the actual political process from this point? Well, look, the bill will be put onto the government agenda, so that's when it will come into the House for the first time. It will have the first reading, and that will be passed, and then it will go to the select committee stage, and that's where we will hear a lot of the robust discussions through public submissions. So any member of the public able to either write their submission in support or against the Treaty Principles Bill, or they can give it orally in front of that select committee. So that's where we will see this issue kick up Yet again. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, isn't it? Because all we know about the bill at this stage is that it's being based off the policy that ACT brought to last year's election. So those principles, uh, as defined by ACT's policy, are yet to be put forward in a bill form. We have to wait for that process to pass through in the coming months. So talk to us about National's position. How are they navigating this issue at the moment? 
Look, the National Party has really been in a quite tricky position on this. Uh, of course, on the one hand, they really did need to give this, you could argue, to the ACT Party in order to form a coalition. Remember, this issue, the Treaty Principles uh, referendum, as it was originally uh, promoted during the election, that was a key issue for David Seymour and the ACT Party at the election. So there was no way that they could not get that on their coalition deal agenda. Uh, the, the thing for Christopher Luxon is that he managed to water it down essentially, so not a referendum but actually a bill. And remember, the National Party has uh, said that it will only support this bill to select committee and not beyond that. So the bill won't come into legislation, uh, but many say the damage will be done. Look, here's Tama Pōtaka, the Māori Development Minister. He's been fronting on this issue quite a bit, uh, and here's his kōrewa on that. Prime Minister has said very clearly uh, that there, if there is an intention to have a referendum on the treaty principles, the National Party will not support that. And the Prime Minister, Christopher Luxon, he was also having to defend National's position several times in recent weeks, including at Ratana Pa. Here's the Prime Minister. If we have said, I don't know how to be any clearer about it, there is no commitment to support it beyond a first reading. So as you can see there, the National Party really on the defensive on this one. Uh, I don't know that they knew that it would blow up so much uh, when they signed up to this in the coalition deal with the ACT Party. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, Mikey? Because the, there is an inherent tension there that the National Party, in terms of their coalition dyna dynamics, need to be seen to be entering this debate, at least the, the debate that li is likely to come once we get into select committee, in good faith. They need to be seen to at least be open to progressing this bill further as per Act's wishes. But at the same time, they're obviously cautious about the level of opposition that they've received already regarding these plans. So that's going to be really interesting to uh, watch as it plays out once this bill is introduced and we head to select committee. Talk to us about the uh, third head in the so-called three-headed Taniwha that is the coalition government at the moment. Where does New Zealand first stand on all of this? Well, New Zealand first largely occupies the same territory, the same position on this issue as the National Party. They too have said that they would support it to select committee, but not beyond that. And they do not want to be responsible for the scrap that David Seymour and the ACT Party has kicked off. In saying that, New Zealand first, they will have their own treaty debate uh, to face with Māori because, of course, they want to uh, more clearly define the principles of the treaty as they are already uh, as they already stand in current legislation. So they want to go through all of the legislation that mentions the treaty principles and really define what exactly that means. So that will be an issue that iwi and that Māori uh, will challenge New Zealand first on as well. And how do you see this playing out once that bill is actually introduced, Mikey? Look, I think we're going to see more robust debate and discussion from both sides of this argument. I do expect, though, that at that submission uh, stage, we will hear a lot more from the supporters of David Seymour. Uh, he says that a lot of uh, a lot of people around the country actually support uh, this debate and they want to have this corridor. And so I expect that we will hear more from them. In the last few months, uh, we have uh, heard predominantly from Māori on this issue. I think at that select committee stage, when public submissions are able to be heard, we will hear more of the other mm. side of the argument. That's Deputy Political Editor Mikey Sherman. Hey, R&A, this Q&A special continues after the break.
Cool, Matu, that is Q&A for today. So you know, there is extensive Waitangi Day coverage at onenews.co.nz. For now though, kia pai te rangi nei. Have a good day. We will see you for our first regular show of 2024 this Sunday at 9am. Q&A is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air.